The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Today we have one of those deeply personal stories to share with you. Some of the listeners may know that my actual job at the museum is to work with our docents, our volunteers who lead free tours of the museum all day, every day, under normal circumstances. A lot of our docents are professional pilots or engineers, but honestly, just as many docents are from any walk of life. People who are teachers, salespeople, even a handful of dentists. People who just love aviation and space exploration and want to get people excited about it. This story comes from one of those dentist docents, a docent named Tom Davidson, who when he served as a military dentist assigned to an aviation wing, had an aviation experience that changed his life forever. Here is my story, which is the unfinished letter. Now, it might have had a number of other titles. It could have been also how I ended up in the backseat in a dogfight, which would be uh, another question which I'm about to answer for you in this story. The year is 1964, and uh, I'm less than a year out of dental school, having participated in a program which allowed me to be commissioned immediately after graduation in the U.S. Navy Dental Corps. And uh, I'm now down in San Diego for my first assignment. I was sent to the Marine Corps recruit depot in San Diego, where I saw recruits and um, began to uh, practice as a, uh, as a U.S. Navy dentist. Things are heating up in uh, Southeast Asia in 1964. We all know that it's quite likely that this is a temporary assignment, uh, those of us who were down there, and that we would be probably assigned further uh, from there on a second assignment to Southeast Asia somewhere. Because I am unmarried at the time, I have no dependents, it's very likely that I will be assigned to the Marines because they don't have dependents with their dental corps when they send them overseas. And sure enough, a few months later, I got my assignment to the 1st Marine Air Wing, which is stationed in Iwakuni, Japan. Now, as many of you may not know, the Marine Corps does not have its own support staff or support uh, people, but relies on the Navy to, to supply the uh, dentists, doctors, chaplains. Those, those are all, and myself, as a, as a U.S. Navy dental officer, was assigned to Marines. So that's how I got to Iwakuni and how I got uh, over to be with the 1st Marine Air Wing. Now, uh, as I mentioned before, I, I was certainly excited about being assigned to an air wing rather than the, what they called the grunts or the Marines on the ground. But it was all a wonderful adventure for me back in the day. As one is assigned to the Marines, as I was, you don't just go in right off the street, so to speak. 
But there is a bit of an indoctrination, in fact. They make sure that they put you through uh, somewhat of an introduction. For me, it was a field medical service school in uh, Camp Pendleton, where we were taught what the broader picture of what it was like to be a Marine and what it would be be like serving with them. We learned casualty, triage, and uh, treatment, took physical training, crawled through the infiltration course with live ammunition, did some training with throwing a hand grenade and using sidearms and things that were totally unknown to me at the time, but something that really got you into the kind of, I guess, into the somewhat of the spirit of what it was like to be serving with the Marines and what they actually did. So after arriving in Japan and finding my way around and getting to know people, I found that it might be possible to ride along on a uh, training flight with uh, some, of the, some of the pilots on some of the training flights if the opportunity arose. But in order to do that, I would have to be a card-carrying member, so to speak, eligible to go up in a high-performance aircraft. You had to uh, go through a, a training in the Martin Baker ejection seat and also go through training in the altitude chamber so that you would be able to understand some of the equipment that was used at the time that you went up, should you get the opportunity. So uh, certainly I, I look forward to doing this and at my earliest convenience. I became a, a card-carrying member and hoped to be able to go up in uh, one of the um, one of the aircraft, or for, for that matter, any aircraft that I could go in. Particularly, I had my eye on going in the backseat of um, a TF-9 Cougar, which was a, we'll say, a Cold War swept-wing Navy fighter jet. It uh, certainly was prevalent at that time. Remember, this is the mid-60s. So the opportunity to go up on one of these flights uh, did not really present itself until a large group of us were sent off on a deployment to uh, Taiwan or Formosa, as it was called then, on what we would probably best call now a war games practice. We all, all the personnel went down on ships. I went down on a LSD, as I recall, along with a large contingent from the medical corps, as well as a number of troops that were going down to support the aircraft. And the airplanes were flown down to the southern part of Taiwan, Formosa down to a city uh, of Kaohsiung, a large air base down there at the time. And once they were down there, a large tent camp was set up to house all of us, a support group for the aircraft. A dispensary was sent up along with dentists and doctors. There were two dentists, myself and another dental officer, and uh, four medical officers, as I recall. And we were there for two weeks. We became good friends. We all bunked together in the same tent. And so it was uh, quite an adventure for me, I shall say, because, again, I'm less than a year now out of dental school. Toward the end of this two-week operation, I got word that a a seat would maybe available, a seat would be available in one of the TF-9 aircraft. Remember, this is the swept-wing fighter, two-place fighter plane, that uh, would be available on the uh, following Sunday uh, of this week, of the week that I'm speaking of, if, if I'd like to go along. Um, the flight surgeon that 
I was uh, bunking with there was scheduled to go up on Friday, and I think he was the one that kind of told me of the opportunity, and uh, he knew that I was anxious to go as well. Now, a flight surgeon is required to go up a certain number of flight hours, but there certainly is no requirement for the dentist to go up. Uh, but nevertheless, if there was an empty seat and I was anxious to go, they would take me along, and so I jumped at the chance, no doubt. As the week worked by, it came to uh, ha- occur that my flight surgeon friend who was going to go up on Friday had a conflict, some some conflict that he had an obligation out in the community, and uh, it would work well with him if he could go up on Sunday and I would go up on Friday, and would I would I be interested in doing that? So, of course, my schedule was such that that was easy for me to do, of course, and um, I quickly agreed to go Friday instead. But also, um, the word was that there was going to be some rather intense uh, flying. It wasn't going to just be a ride, but there would be some rather intense flying because the purpose of this training was to go and interact with other aircraft who would be vectored together. Other aircraft would be flown off of a uh, off a carrier, so we'd be interacting with some Navy fighters as well, and um, there would be some rather intense flying. Do I still want to go? And, and of course, I still want to go, uh, even more so, uh, I should say. Even though you know this is this is my first experience in the backseat of an air, of an airplane that I've looked forward to going up to for a long time. So Friday arrived and uh, I showed up for the pre-flight and met the pilot and we proceeded to get ready to go. And actually, I I happened to have a letter uh, which I I wrote which uh, which captures even at this time I think this letter that I wrote back to my parents after the flight, but I, I, I want to read it to you because um, it probably captures it as well as I can at this point. And these are the words, my words that I put to paper now 57, 57 years ago. Yesterday, we'll go down in history. I, I finally got up in a jet fighter. I was up for an hour and a half with a pilot I met down here, whom everyone said is a good aviator. It was everything I expected and more, the most exhilarating sensation I can remember. This particular plane was set up with one seat in back of the other with a complete dual set of instruments and controls in the back seat. It takes about 15 minutes to get all the equipment on and get strapped in. I wore a flight suit, a G-suit, helmet, oxygen mask, life jacket, and even wriggling into the narrow seat and plugging in in all the eight straps uh, which secured me uh, and anchored me to the ejection seat, uh, took uh, quite a bit of, of work. Once in position, movement is very limited, and only by pressing release buttons are you allowed to even lean forward. I later found a good reason for this. The first sensation is one of silence, nothing except the sound of breathing through the oxygen mask and radio communications through the earphone in the helmet. I was able to talk to the pilot through the microphone and my mask, and he was very interested in explaining what we were doing, as I, as I was to learn. Visibility is terrific through the bubble canopy. So after the takeoff, we make a rapid climb up to above the clouds and skimmed along the top at about 10,000 feet for a few minutes as we headed south. 
Then as we approached a high cloud bank, we went into a spiral to about 20,000 feet. During this maneuver, we pulled into a spiral climb up to uh, up above 20,000 feet. And uh, during this maneuver, uh, we, we pulled some G's and my suit automatically inflated to prevent the blood from draining from my head. And sensation is unlike anything I've ever experienced. At this point, he told me to grab the stick and fly for a while. So I flew, and I have a question mark here, I flew the plane for about 15 minutes and was amazed at what little effort was needed to make it climb, dive, and turn. I might add, uh, having since become a private pilot, of course, I might say that uh, he had it all trimmed. It was, it, was, it was easy to control as long as I didn't do, do anything too drastic, for sure. Back to my letter. Our purpose was to make some intercepts on some of my other, other aircraft and to dogfight with them, our own aircraft, to test their efficiency in that type of combat. Once spotting the other planes, he took the controls and we went through a series of maneuvers that were so violent that all I could do was hang on. There were periods of weightlessness followed by 5G pulls in which I was unable to lift my arm to my face. The horizon moved in every direction as we flew inverted, spiraled up and down, all in an effort to get in the proper position, 1,200 feet, 1200 feet astern of the other fighters that we might be able to fire at them. This we did, and I'm told on all four of our fights, quote unquote, came out victorious. We then made a low level 30 foot approach over the water on a simulated bomb run over the target area on shore. This about used up our fuel, so we came back to the field after being in the air, the shortest one and a half hours I've seen. I was really sorry to get out and hope to go again. If I seem enthused, I am, and happy to finally get that trip, which seemed always to slip out of my fingers. It was worth waiting for. I didn't send a letter. I, 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 sent it, I, I set it aside to finish when I had a little bit of extra time. But I never did finish the letter, and I never did send it. Because I, I learned that on Sunday, recall I wrote this letter probably Saturday, on Sunday, um, my friend uh, who had gone up in, recall we had switched star seats in the airplane, my friend had gone up, and his airplane didn't come back. All the rest of them came back, they, he didn't come back. The word was that they were out doing exactly the same thing that I had been doing. They had gone on an intercept and then they'd gotten into this disorienting, as I must say, condition in which they were doing all this evasive flying. And the aircraft got into an inverted spin and uh, they were unable to recover from it. Uh, the pilot was able to eject, but the airplane uh, with my friend went, went into the South China Sea. Well, uh, I was uh, devastated. It just didn't seem possible. What a loss. I, I still can't come to quite come to grips with it. And I thought about it, and I must say, almost every day from then on, because um, I was given a second chance. There certainly is no doubt, doubt in my mind. I also have to think about 
would I have gotten out if I were in that situation? Uh, why didn't he get out? Was he frozen with fear? Uh, was he, perhaps he had passed out? Did he really not understand that even though we was very disorienting, that he was being asked to, to leave the safety of an airplane and go into the, into the sky and behind a parachute? Those are the things that I, that I keep thinking about. If they had called to me, get out, Doc, would I have done it? As uh, the pilot had said that he had said a number of times to my friend. Well, there was an investigation, an extensive investigation, and, and the plane and, and the passenger were uh, never recovered. So I know I was given a second chance without question, trying to make the best of it, and I've always realized how very fortunate that I have been. If you visit the Museum of Flight, there is a uh, memorial, actually, some plaques that are placed underneath the uh, B-52 out behind the uh, aviation pavilion that are there to honor certain people that were lost or wish to be commemorated during the Vietnam era. There's a plaque out there, I saw to it, that has the name of my friend, Charles Moberly that's placed underneath that aircraft. And uh, in some way, I think that that will always be a good memorial for an experience that uh, was very profound in my life. So I thank you for that. And that's the end of my story. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Special thanks to those listeners who've been able to support the podcast and the museum financially these past few months. Your gift truly makes this project and, and other amazing educational projects at the Museum of Flight possible. If you'd like to become a donor, you can find the link in the show notes. Now, while we don't have the plane Tom talked about in our collection, we do have a few artifacts related to elements of his stories, things like pressure suits and ejection seat and, and more in our exhibit, Vietnam Divided War Above Southeast Asia. Make sure that you head to our website to get the most up-to-date information on museum hours and how to reserve admission before you come. In addition, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Park located on the far west side of the museum's campus, is free to the public. If you're local or on your next visit to Seattle, take a moment to stop at the Memorial Park, check out the B-52 there, and look for Lieutenant Moberly's plaque. And, and also take a moment to read the names of some of the other people on the memorial and ponder the stories they could tell. Tom's story is told regularly at the museum as part of our one o'clock storytelling program. Now, as this episode is released, that program is on hiatus as we continue to follow guidelines against group events at the museum in response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. But if you're listening to this in the future, storytelling may have returned. So just check the museum's website for up-to-date information on what's going on at the museum on the day of your visit, or ask museum staff when you show up. 
If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. And share the show with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs>